Okay, tonight we're in chapter 6 still as we are opening the, the seals, and we come to the sixth seal tonight. And I just want to, before we jump into that, beginning in verse 12, I want to make sure that we can see the flow of these seals as they're being opened. These first six seals, they naturally flow together, right, uh, to basically culminate in the final judgment that we're going to see tonight. So the four horsemen of the first four seals, they basically represent the judgment that God is pouring out on a godless world that is rebelling against him, as Romans chapter 1 tells us. That those judgments are poured out against all mankind that suppress the truth of God and would rather worship a lie than the truth. And so we're living in that time as God is pouring out his judgment and there's tribulation and wrath upon those who hate God. But also we as Christians are living in the midst of that as well and suffering as well. So that brings us to the point of the fifth seal that we saw last week. And that's the martyrs, those Christians who are living um, amongst this tribulation in, in this judgment and are dying for the cause of Christ. And we saw in that fifth seal that those martyred saints are safe in the presence of the Lord and they're praying and their prayer was, how long, O Lord, how long until you bring final justice and final judgment on our enemies? And then we come to this sixth seal tonight, which really is an answer to the prayer of the martyrs. Uh, it's the answer to that prayer and it brings us to that culmination, the end time, final judgment where God brings justice to his universe once and for all. So let's notice how this flows. Verse 12 now says this. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by the gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slaves and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who was seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Wow, I mean, this is one of the most blatant descriptions of the final judgment of that day, that judgment day that we have all heard about. Michael Wilcock says this, at last we have a sure reference point. Commentaries sometimes state dogmatically that of course X means Y, when a little thought will show that there is no of course about it. But here, the meaning is unmistakable. I love that quote because it's very true, right? If some people preach through Revelation, they'll They'll see a symbol or a, 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 some kind of a, of, a, of a symbolic thing happening, and they'll say, oh, of course th this means this. And you say, oh, okay, and, but then you think about it, and you see other things, and you say, wait a minute, it really may not mean that. Or it sure does take a lot of gymnastics for us to get there, right? Um, but yet, I agree with Michael Wilcock, this seal is plain as daylight. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of, of, of mental processing we have to do to say what does this mean <laughs> it's 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 just right there right there in the open this is the final judgment 
And because of that, we have this reference point, right? We know that that's the final judgment. So as I said at the beginning, it makes perfect sense now that everything we've seen in Revelation this far is flowing toward that. So the four horsemen now make perfect sense. Those first four seals were these judgments that God was allowing to come upon the earth, right? The, the, the famine, the war, the death, the destruction. And all those things together then represent God's judgment on the world. And then meanwhile, you've got this picture of heaven. The saints, the Christians who have died during that time are with the Lord safely waiting for what? The final judgment that is now revealed in the sixth seal. So to me, this all flows together very beautifully, and, and, and yet it's a horrible, horrible, horrifying situation if you don't know the Lamb who's revealing these things, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the final judge of all things. And so the vision here, obviously, as I said, clearly points to that final judgment, the end time as we know it. William Hendrickson put it this way, concerning this final seal, the, the sixth seal rather, not the final, but the sixth seal. He says, it describes the one great catastrophe at the end of this age, the dread and terror, the awe and consternation of that day is pictured under the twofold symbolism of a crashing universe and a thoroughly frightened human race. Man. And I want to notice those two points because that's how this passage naturally breaks down. Two, two main points. And the first thing we see is the destruction or the deconstruction of creation. Look at verses 12 through 14 as we kind of look at that in more detail. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when it's shaken by a gale. The sky, listen to this. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. So there's so, so much symbolic, so, sim, sim, symbolic language here, but is it totally symbolic? That's the, that's the debate, right, among commentators. Is this talking about something that's going to happen? Or as the preterist would say, and the preterist means past, so the, there's many that think all of these things have already happened in the past. Um, is this talking about the fall of Rome and 70 AD and things like that? Is it already done? So what is this? And is it really an earthquake? Is it really the sun going black and so forth? Michael Wilcock again comments on this. I like what he says. The question of whether the earthquake, the darkened sun, and so on are to be taken literally or metaphorically misses the point. That day will spell the end of the entire universe as we know it, the end of the planets and the galaxies as well as the end of the human institutions they may symbolize. So he makes a good point. Whether or not we say how, how literal is this and how literal is that, it really doesn't matter. The bottom line is they're pointing to the end of all things as we know it. That, that's what we do know this is talking about. I think it's interesting, too, when he mentioned at the very end there, the institutions, those things which we have seen established that, that just haven't been shaken for centuries, right? They're gone. And one of the symbols of that are islands and mountains, right? We talk about steadfast like a mountain, the mount, the rock of Gibraltar, right? Uh, we use that term to say something is immovable, right? 
uh, a mountain range or an island. It's just there, right? It's just been there. But now the Bible says at this point, they're all gone. All those things that were at one time steadfast, immovable for us as humans, those institutions and things that have never been shaken have now been shaken from the top political leaders and kingdoms to the, to the poorest person. I mean, everything has been shaken and undone and ev- the stars have fallen from heaven. And, and again, I, I am so enthralled by this verse have always been the sky vanished like a scroll. The sky just vanishes. It's rolled up like a scroll. We can't even fathom that. But the maker of the universe can. He, he rolled it out in the first place. And now at the end, he's rolling it up. It's gone. It's just, just unfathomable. And, and I think we've got to really be honest with the whole Bible about this and realize that this is just not unique to the book of Revelation. And people can't just say, well, just get rid of that book of Revelation and you won't be afraid anymore. Just, that's just all symbolic and too mystical. It's just too apocryphal, too mysterious. We don't need it. it the Bible doesn't say that stuff anywhere else. Oh, contraire, my frere, right? The Bible is, it, there's plethora, a plethora of verses that sound just like Revelation. And it should because it's the same author, <laughs> The author of, the, of Revelation is the author of every book in the Bible. So it should be similar. And it is. There's continuity throughout. Listen to the similar language in the Old Testament describing God's awesome power, his revealed authority, the thunder, the earthquakes, the lightnings, all those things. It's still used. Those language, that language is still used all through the Bible to talk about God's wrath and judgment and his power. Back in Exodus chapter 19, when God truly revealed himself to the people that he decided to make his people, the children of Israel, when he gave them his law at Sinai. Listen to this. Verse 17. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. (laughs) There's a lot of that right there, right? Can you imagine? I mean, this is big. Where are we going, Moses? We're going to meet God. Wow. You know, it's really interesting about this. I, I get on my high horse for a minute because we really don't take this seriously in our lives, this idea of meeting God. The congregation of Israel is a mirror to the congregation of the church today, right? As a matter of fact, they're called the church in the wilderness. They're an assembly of God's people who meet before him at the tabernacle on a regular basis. But in this case, God says, you're going to meet me at Mount Sinai. And you know, the verses previous as they're getting ready says, all of Israel washed their clothes. I think it's interesting. I mean, they took this serious. Why? We're going to meet God. So it wasn't just like a normal, let's just you know, show up any way we want. No big deal. It's just God. No, there was an awe about that. There was this preparation, this, this thing of saying, you know what? This is not just any other thing. This is the highlight. <laughs> and it should be as believers. And I know, I know, I know. I came from the whole secret sensitive thing where we all went the other way. Like, yeah, you don't have to wear your Sunday best anymore. We don't have to dress up. And God looks from the heart, not the outside. But there is still something about, and, it, and it's all true. And all of that really does deal with justification and salvation. But when we think about the fact that we're coming to worship God, there should be something different than when we're going to play hockey. Or, I don't know how many of us play hockey actually here in Cincinnati, but 
whatever. I'm just saying, I'm not trying to go legalistic on us, but I do think we should at least wash our clothes and, and wash our face, <laughs> right? And, and not come like one guy in, in the church that we had, had, when we started a church in the high school 20-something years ago now, we had a guy show up in nothing but an American flag. I mean, nothing under that flag. That's interesting. So I'm saying we got to do more than that, right? I mean, we definitely got to wash our clothes, put some clothes. But I'm just saying there's something about this. We're meeting God. Does that not change something? When we come to church, by the way, that's what we're doing every Sunday. God has promised to be in our midst. So I just think it's been affecting me. I'm just sharing my heart tonight. I'm not saying this is a rule that we ought to change how we come, but I just think we should give it some thought because they said, we're going to meet God. And look what happened. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, that's this, 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 this is, we don't understand that word trumpet is the best that the, 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 the prophet can use here, but there was some, an ominous sound that kept growing in its magnitude coming from somewhere in the very presence of God here. And Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So do you see some similar language that we see in Revelation when it comes to God, his awesome power, his presence? Matter of fact, Isaiah 34, 1 through 4, the prophet there says identical language. Matter of fact, you're going to see that, that the language used in Revelation, much of it was probably taken from Isaiah by John and inspired by the Spirit to be repeated because, again, it's the same author. It's God. It's God's word. And the, and, and the prophet of Isaiah was prophesying about the end of the world. Now, here's, before I do this, before I read this, I do want to say that there are many places in the Old Testament where that language is used for nations. And that's what some of the preterists would say. They say, well, all this stuff's already happened. Because when God took out the Babylonians, he said the stars are going to fall from heaven and, and, and you're going to lose your power. And that is a picture, by the way, of authority falling. When a star falls from heaven or the, the sun is out, that's a picture of authority going out. But every one of those places, the problem is it was speaking to a specific nation, saying you're going, you're going down, God's judgment is coming, and it's going to be like this. I think all of those were preludes to the big judgment that we see here in Revelation. They were just forerunners. They were foreshadows. Because the, the Isaiah 34 is not talking about a particular nation. It's talking about the world. And it's so plain. And it mirrors Revelation. Look at this. Verse 1. Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear. Let the earth hear. And all that fills it the world and all the that, that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction. He, he, he has given them over for slaughter, given them over for destruction. Again, Romans chapter 1, he's given them up given them over to themselves. Their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the host of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll. 
all their host, the stars, shall fall. As leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. Nearly identical language to Revelation. So again, the Bible is very plain. You don't, you don't just have to have Revelation to see that God's going to judge the world <laughs> once and for all. You've got it all through the Bible. And so, so I think it's important that we go back then as we look at that, that verse in Revelation and realize there's something that is just cataclysmic about the return of Christ. That's why we, we sometimes have to be careful. We're like, oh, yeah, come on, Lord, come on back. Wait a minute. <laughs> when he comes, it will be glorious for believers, but it will not be glorious for the rest of the world. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about fearing the day of the Lord for everybody to have all when they think about the return of God, not just flippant expectation. Oh, yeah, come on, Lord, that'd be great. And so when you think about this, we've got to look at that and see this world vanishing away, the scroll being rolled up, all these things. That means that there's nothing. That means the earth, heavens, stars, sky itself, we don't understand this, but every element that we know is been, has been dissipated by the creator and the one who holds those elements in his hands, the one who holds every atom in his hands, has just withdrawn all of that existence. So this is where I'm saying it brings us to the next part of this verse. Because everything that we as human beings have ever known about material life is gone. And every human being that ever lived has been resurrected, and every living human being at the time of Christ's return is now suspended in nothingness, and God's throne is in front of them, and that's it. Nothing to hide behind. They're going to try, as you see in the next verses. But this is the first main point, that idea of the destruction of creation, the decreation of the creation by God. And then number two, we see the dread of mankind, the dread of mankind, verses 15, and rightfully so, verses 15 through 17. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful I think these are, these are seven distinct categories that he's mentioning here, although many of these have similar similarities. There are some powerful people that aren't necessarily as rich. They can be powerful with their, with their words, with their strength. Then there's those who are rich that have a different kind of authority. There's generals, right? There's kings. But then he gets down to this part. And everyone, slave and free. So covering all spheres of people from the highest, monarch, to the lowliest slave and free person that's just poor and has no say whatsoever in life. So this is, the Bible's covering everybody who ever lived. Now, what are they doing? There's nothing around except God's throne and the final judgment for everybody. The rich are not saying, you know who I am? You know who I am? Where's my bodyguards? <laughs> you know, get, get me out of here. Nope. There is nowhere to hide, no card to play that says, look at me, I, I deserve to be out of this. And so what's happening? Everyone hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us 
and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. And from the wrath of the lamb, you hear this? That's huge language. The wrath of the lamb. That meek, mild lamb who was led to the slaughter and didn't open his mouth, who was redeeming his people, has conquered. He's victorious. He's risen. And now his wrath strikes fear in the hearts of his enemies. Why? For Because the great day of their wrath has come. That great day of their wrath has come. And now a horrifying question. Who can stand? Who can stand before him? It's, a, it's interesting to think that we see here that the thing sinners fear most is not death but the revealed presence of God. They prefer death. They're saying rocks, things that are flying around, all these mountains and rocks, everything's falling apart. Hit me, fall on me, crush me so that I don't have to face him. This is the, the, the realization that our world needs to hear. People need to hear the arrogant, the, 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 the cocky sinner who says, I don't care, I do what I want to do, and there is no God, and blah, blah, blah. They're going to be standing here before him with no recourse. And many of them, I have to say, I'm, I, 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 in my humanness will say, I feel sorry for because many of them never heard this preaching. They never heard this truth. Now, yes, Paul says you're without excuse because just look at the magnitude of the universe and then ask yourself, is there a designer? Yes. Who is he? I don't know, but he's big and I submit to him, right? That's why Paul says you're without excuse. Even if you've not heard these verses and seen the, 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 the special revelation of God in his word, you still must know there's something bigger than you. And yet in your arrogance, you choose to suppress that truth and be your own God and serve yourself. And the result of that is you will have to pay the fiddler one day. This is that day, that judgment day, that again used to be preached very frequently among churches across this world. In every culture, you heard about a judgment day, right? People knew, here come the judge, here come the judge. People knew in the back of their mind whether they were good Christians or not, there's a final accountability. And it changed the way society operates when you hear this truth. But we're in a society that doesn't even believe this truth, much less hear it preached. We've got most churches today that simply want to make people feel good about themselves as they are, not warn them in love about the truth that all of us will face a holy God one day. And we're living in the day of grace that God is being patient. Remember when he told the saints who were praying, how long, O Lord, until you judge the wicked? How long until you bring that final judgment? What did he say? Be still, rest, wait, until all of your brothers and sisters have come home. You see, he's being patient. And his grace is here today. And we better be busy as his people proclaiming the good news of the gospel because that's what he's waiting for. He's letting us preach the gospel so he can save his people before this judgment. That's how we love homosexuals, folks. That's how we love the transgender people. That's how we love the thief. That's how we love the liar. That's how we love the cheater. That's, that's how we love the embezzler. That's how we love the proud, the arrogant, the greedy, 
That's all of us, folks. That's how we love sinners. It's by proclaiming to them the good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took that wrath that they will take if they stand before that God on that day. Christ already took it if you rest in him. That's why we got to preach that message. That's why we do preach that message and this message. Because honestly, folks, as hard as this preaching is and as hard as this book of Revelation is, it is God's grace to us. He's warning us in love, saying this is what's, ha- this is what's coming. And you see, the reason he used similar language in the Old Testament to, before he wiped out whole nations was to show us that he means what he says. Historically, he does keep his word. So he's showing us that as well. And he will keep this word as well. So having said this, let's notice the verses that show how even in the Old Testament, people were scared to death of the judgment of God. This is, this is seen again all through Scripture. All of this, the Bible just repeats itself over and over and over. Exodus 20, 18 through 19, the, the people that saw God when they met God, <laughs> when they finally met him at Mount Sinai, heard the thunder, saw the earthquake, saw the smoke, saw the flashing lights, the loud trumpet sound. Listen to the rea- reaction in verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. (laughs) They understood, rightfully so, had this fear, this reverence of the holiness of God when they, when they in their sin, and we're all there, folks. We're all sinful. And you know how we really realize it the most is not by comparing ourselves to other sin, sinners. That's not how we realize we're sinful. It's when we get into the presence of a holy God that we realize how sinful we are. Which again is why in our evangelism, the way we preach Christ is to uplift the holiness of God, first and foremost. Let people, let them be exposed to a holy God And that will reveal to them, I need cleansing. I need something else other than what I've been doing. Oh, here's the good news. There's a perfect Savior waiting to save you if you simply fall upon his mercy and grace. Hallelujah. Amen. I mean, that's the gospel. So as we see this stuff in conclusion, I just want to kind of say that everything we see in Revelation chapters 4 through 6 sounds very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew 24. So I, again, want to make another link to the Bible from Revelation back to Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 24 when people ask him about the last days. So while Jesus was on earth, he prophesied about the end days. He told what's coming. So let's look at what he says there and see if it matches up with what he's saying now in Revelation to John. Verse 29 says... Immediately after the tribulation. Okay, let's talk about that. So what did Jesus say right before this? He's talking about this tribulation that's going to come. Wars and rumors of wars. You're going to hear about all that. You're going to hear earthquakes in many places, pestilence, and they're all going to come. But what did he say? That's not the end. The end is not yet. That's just the beginning, right, of, of the birth pains, so to speak. So with that comes what? Tribulation. That's tribulation. So 
I would say, based on what we've seen, that that's the four horsemen that have been released. We're in that time right now where there's judgment, there's tribulation, there's pain, there's suffering. That's what Jesus was talking about. But now he says immediately after that tribulation time, after that has been going on, it says this. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. So something cataclysmic is going to happen. After there's been tribulation, after Christians have been dying, after they've been going to heaven and they're martyrs under the throne praying, how long, O Lord? You see what I'm saying? This is going on and will continue to go on until a sudden stop. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. Wow. So this is, without a doubt, the second coming of Christ. Now, I know there's some that would say, well, he came you know, a, a, a secret coming first to take away his own, and then he's going to come back like this. Hmm. That's interesting because this very time where Christ comes and every eye sees him, this, 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 everything in Revelation is happening here. The sun is dark, the moon is dark, the stars are falling, right? And now we have this view of what's happening on earth. The Son of Man appears. Everybody sees him. His enemies see him. And look what it says. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So if there is a rapture, it happens at the same time. Do you see this? This is, this is not two different events. This is the one time coming of Christ when he separates his elect, his people, from the rest of the world all at once. Just like it says in Revelation, they, we all stand before him, but, but there's a separation. And Jesus goes on to talk about that. By the way, the word parousia is what we use for the, the word of the coming of Christ, his second coming, the parousia. And Jesus further explains the parousia in verses 31 through 33. Look what he goes on to say. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Now, this, this is explaining what's going on a little deeper. I've come in all my glory. That's what it just said. He comes in all his glory. His enemies see him. He sends his angels to gather his elect separate from those who did not believe on him. So look at this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Again, this is perfectly aligning with Revelation. What did all the people see when the whole earth melted away and the cosmos melted away? They saw God on his throne. So Christ himself is on the throne here. And look at this. Before him will be gathered all the nations. So this is the prophecy before we get the revelation of Christ saying, here's what's going to happen. I come back, all the nations, that, that means every human being that ever lived, are gathered before me. And then what happens? Look at this. And he will separate people <laughs> one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will 
placed the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So we just saw that. This is just going into more detail about what we just saw Jesus say. I'm coming back. Everybody's going to see me. The earth's going to fall apart. All this is going to happen. And I'm going to separate my people. <laughs> I'm going to separate my people from those who are not my people. From the, the sheep, from the goats. Now let's look at this. Because let's look what happens to those people once they're separated. This is our hope, folks. If you're a believer here tonight, this is our hope. If you're not a believer, this is what you need to hear. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, come, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Wow. It's amazing. There's so many things we could preach in this verse alone that would take us several weeks. <laughs> if we go back to this from the foundation of the world, God had this plan. He loved a people. I mean, this is huge. But there's my security. My security is not in me. My security is in God's covenantal plan for me. And he did all this, and he's, he's not only, he, he not only created us, he not only gave us breath to live, he not only came to this earth to live a perfect life in our place, he not only died on the cross, was buried and rose again to pay for the wrath that we should have gotten at this judgment, he took that all, but he's coming back. He's going to make all things right, and he's going to welcome us into the kingdom that he's always planned us to enjoy with him. There's my security. There's my hope. But look at the rest of this. Verse, 20, verse 41, he goes on to say, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, now these words, if we're in Christ, we, we breathe a sigh of relief, but we should still be brokenhearted because we have loved ones that this is going to apply to. This really prioritizes our life again, right? This is why we must hear the Bible over and over. It prioritizes our life. What am I living for? How much time am I wasting with my family members, my friends, talking about trivial stuff? What I should be saying at some point in love, are you ready? <laughs> because reality is about to start, folks. This, this world, this is not the whole eternity. This is just the dress rehearsal. As, as the vernacular of our day says, it's about to get real, right? That's what we need to be telling our loved ones. That's what the whole gospel is about. Who can stand? That's the question in Revelation. Who can stand? Who can stand in the presence of the Holy One of God when he's on his throne, looking through us, knowing everything about us, nothing's hidden? Who can stand? I'll tell you who can stand, the one who is standing in Christ. That's the only one who can stand. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. As Colossians tells us that our lives are hidden in Christ. If we are by faith trusting you, if we've received your word, if we've repented of our sins, if we've been humble enough to say, Lord, Save me. I can't do it. 
and we've run to your grace. You have saved us. We are blessed by the Father. And one day we will hear him say, enter into the joy of my salvation. So Father, thank you for your word. Encourage us with your words and give us the boldness to live a life in light of these coming events. Not to be at home here, but to realize this whole thing is going to melt away and you're going to make a new heaven and a new earth. So let us be faithful to take our time in this world to do everything we can to bring people into your kingdom. For your glory, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.